Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. What's going on, my friends? How are you? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, super excited to be here with y'all, kicking it, my friends. We got a dope episode coming out. I know we talked to a lot of people about mental health. We talked to people about diversity, equity, inclusion. We talked to people about their careers. We talked about legacy. We talked about a lot of stuff. And we're going to talk about a lot of that today, but from a completely different and exciting lens. Because my friend, Paige Savage, Savage, if you're nasty, is how she told me to say it, uh, is the guest. And I'm super pumped for you all to meet here in just a second. Let me tell you about her. Paige is a plus-size model, content creator, photographer, consultant, and sex worker based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Paige joined the adult industry a few years ago and soon after said goodbye to that nine to five job in education. She loves what she's doing now. She thoroughly loves being a Jane of all trades and her own boss. She wants you to know that she is a regular, schmegular human and a real down to Mars girl. If you know to quote, you already appreciate her. Let's bring her out right now. My friend, Paige Savage. Hey. What up? What's hey good? <laughs> you know, not much, just, you know, getting nervous, but it's fine. We we're going <laughs> to roll right with it. <laughs> Paige, it is so fun to hang out. You know, we haven't been able to connect. We have been friends for a number of years, and yeah. uh, and now we live in the same city, and then the world yeah. is like, but I'm going to shut down, so you actually can't be friends in real life still. Uh, <laughs> so, But we yeah. were able to get together uh, at least a couple of times before the world ended, and I'm excited that uh, now that the mask mandates are lifting, I'm excited to get to kick it with you in person, too, because we always have a ton of laughs. How have you been, my friend? You know, I have been good to be, I mean, given the pandemic, I've been really good and I can't complain. Um, I don't know. The past year has had me really focusing on gratitude mm. uh, and just being thankful for what I have. And yeah, yeah. so in the grand overarching scheme of the universe, I, I'm in a good place. So how about you? It's a beautiful thing. I am also in a good place. I'm, you know, in the middle of learning a lot. We had a baby and I'm still learning every single day. It's, it's a humbling and yeah. beautiful experience. Uh, and I'm trying to wrestle with my counselor around my intense desire for control and how I don't have it anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gave that up, my friends. <laughs> Everything's fine. Oh, anyway. oh, everything's burning, and yet it's fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Paige, here's a question that I ask a lot of people who come through, uh, because, you know, we're on Diner Talks with James, and I, I fancy myself a good late-night meal. And so I'm wondering, you know, here in the, in the Twin Cities – here in the Twin Cities, we've got a few okay late night spots, right? You can go to Mickey's yeah. and get something greasy if you want. There's a couple of other spots that are open late. But I'm wondering, what is your late night food guilty pleasure? What, what's your move late at night with food? Uh, to be honest, I don't have one anymore. 
because I'm training for a bodybuilding show for 2021. And my oh. trainer's like, you're not about that life anymore, girl. So, <laughs> um, so I mean, back, back in the days before training, uh, BT, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, me and DoorDash used to be real tight. I really yeah. liked um, Red Cow, actually. Okay. For like yeah. a, a late night. Late night. Yeah. Late night to me was like 10, 11, actually. Um, and then I really. Savage dug, indeed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, that's what getting old does to you. <laughs> and then uh, I don't know. I. I don't know. That was never really my. That was never really my move. Oh, but Popeyes would be open late. There you go. Oh yeah, yeah. I would dig me some Popeyes, and Raising Canes would be open late, and I'll take Raising Canes over Popeyes any day. Wow, that's going to start a fight. That's going to be a fight. (laughs) Raising Canes. Zaxby's over Raising Canes. Okay. So all right, let's rank. Let's rank these chicken places because let's just get it all out of okay. uh, out of it. Because the only other chicken places I think we could list are, I mean, there's Chick Fil A, right? With uh, oppression never tastes so good. Um, and uh, so so yeah, this probably KFC is up there. Zaxby's. Zaxby's they gave me food poisoning back in 2016. Never oh, yeah, again. No. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, never. That makes sense. <laughs> I respect your decision. Is is Zaxby's the top of the top of chicken places for you? Bojangles is also in there. Mm-mm. Uh, yeah, I would say it's Zaxby's, Raising Cane's, and Popeyes. Unless you're in New Orleans or like Louisiana in general, and then Popeyes is first. Sure. Okay. Got it. Yeah, because yeah. you gotta you gotta stay on brand. <laughs> that's a perfect time, Paige, to bring up our first sponsor, Popeyes. We're almost as good as Raising Cane's and not as close as Zaxby's. Thanks for sponsoring the show, Popeyes. Uh, (laughs) I think Bojangles is my time. As soon as I went down south, I got Bojangles, and I was like, where has this been my entire life? I learned about sweet tea. They got these Bowberry biscuits covered in all of this sweet, delicious icing. And I I don't know. It's just a good product. I love me a biscuit also. So. Now the the Whataburger honey butter chicken biscuits for breakfast those slap strong. It's a strong product. Yes, it is for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love talking to my friends who have traveled and eaten (laughs) eaten, eaten (laughs) chain restaurants everywhere. Oh, no, but real talk, though. Chili's in Colorado, so much better than Chili's in North Carolina. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if you knew this, uh, Paige, but you were uh, the first person I ever met from North Dakota. Oh, Jesus. I'd never met anybody from North Dakota before, and so I was immediately yeah. fascinated because I wanted to know what was going on up there, and you said basically nothing. nothing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is what I assumed. So I was also like, all right, well, it's good to know. Uh, but <laughs> when you tell people you are from North Dakota, what are the typical reactions you get? Uh, oh, my gosh. Fast and buried. Um, y'all have electricity? Uh, isn't that part of Canada? Oh, no. <laughs> my One of my favorites, 
there's black people up there. And they always got to say it real, real quiet. Like yeah, yeah. it's the worst question ever, um, <laughs> which is not, it's, it's a totally understandable question in my, from my POV. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but besides that, I mean, it was mostly like, what was it like growing up there? So I, the, the funny questions are, they're always, you know, disarming and just, I can't help but laugh because it makes me question, um, the U.S. education system's uh, geography <laughs> lessons. But, uh, <laughs> and as someone who used to teach geography, mm-hmm. I fully get it. But uh, no, I mean, for the most part, people are bewildered and, you know, we have a quick conversation and I give them fun facts like the state of North Dakota has never voted for a Democrat for president since John F. Kennedy. And keep it, keep it moving. So, <laughs> Flex on some facts. Now you got something to yeah. impress your friends at home, kids. Uh, and <laughs> uh, and shout out to JFK. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's some conversations there, but that's for another day. You wait, hang on. There's no way a white man in history had some problems. Uh, that's impossible. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> savior. Ask not. Who you can anyway? Um, so sounds pretty good. Oh, thanks. <laughs> the <laughs> the idea of North Dakota reminds me of my first trip ever to South Dakota. Um, I didn't go to North Dakota until 2019. Was the first time I ever made it to North Dakota. Um, it was my 46th state, um, and uh, and so when I went to South Dakota one time, I was over in Rapid City, the first time I'd ever gone there, and uh, and so I was in Rapid City, I was out at brunch, uh, like you do in Rapid City, big brunch town, and uh, and so I, I was sitting next to this person, whenever I travel, I always try to sit at the bar or belly up to the counter, because I'm an extrovert, mm-hmm. and I just don't want to sit alone, and, uh, and so I'm chopping it up with some stranger next to me, and I said, listen, you know, I got a couple of days to kill out here, sure, I'm going to check route Mount Rushmore off, we'll do the Black Hills, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm pretty close to North Dakota. Should I drive up there and and spend some time in North Dakota just to check the state off? And he turned his whole ass body towards me. And he said, now, son, you listen to me. There's nothing going on in North Dakota. Birds fly upside down in North Dakota because there's nothing worth shitting on up there. (laughs) And that is a direct quote from some old man in South Dakota. <laughs> you know, North Dakota is one of those places, like, it's like your mom. Like, I can talk shit about it, yeah. but you can't because you didn't live there. <laughs> so even though I'm from a state, you know, and I, I always say, like, I'm half North Dakotan because I also grew up in Virginia. I split my time between the two growing up. But uh, I will always claim NODAC. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... I'm one of those people that I actually get like personally will look at someone offended and why are you, why are you talking smack? That's what? (laughs) So, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of things. (laughs) There are a lot of things, Um, but uh, I will say this. It was a great place to grow up. Like definitely a little bit uh, leave it to beaver esque Mm -hmm. in the essence that like, It was before, I feel like North Dakota for the longest was so insulated from a lot of the things that were happening outside, like the state and like in major cities. And so it was nothing to talk to strangers. 
I don't think like we had the stranger danger conversation until like sixth grade. Um, like you could be out until the street lamps came on or even longer and you know, you'd be okay. And I mean, I don't know. I liked it. I liked it a lot actually, but now reflecting like as an adult, there's a lot of things that happened and a lot of things that were said that stuck with me that through therapy you work through, um, (laughs) you know, because like real talk, I was the only person of color in my class until maybe middle school, early high school. Um, so there was just, there was a lot happening. Um, and I was definitely the only kid in my neighborhood who was, you know, darker than a paper towel. <laughs> like, yeah. So it, it, it just, it was a lot growing up, but I, I had a good time. It's it, weird dynamic. Very weird dynamic for sure. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I grew up in a, in a hometown that, I, that I've uh, been quoted as saying that, you know, if you ever saw six black people walking together when I was growing up, you thought it was a movement. Um, just because that's how white, that's how white my hometown was. Right. Um, yeah. and, and you can't help where you grew up. Right. And, and you said you spent your time in Virginia and, and North Dakota. Um, yeah. North Dakota, a fairly white place. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I, how could those experiences not have shaped you? Was there yeah. a time when you were growing up that you became proud of uh, of your heritage? Was that something that you were taught? Was that something that you were were you taught to hide it? Were you told to be proud of it? Were you taught like like what kind of conversations did you have around the house around it? Um, it was a mixed bag, uh, but I mean there was no hiding it. <laughs> there was no hiding it. Uh, my mom is uh, white and half. Indigenous uh, Ojibwe. Um, the uh, colonizer word for Ojibwe is Chippewa. Uh, but uh, she was pretty white passing, unless you know she tanned in the summer. Um, my stepdad uh, was white German ancestry, so it was just very different at first. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't even really realize that I was. I guess black and indigenous until probably I was like eight or nine. And I asked my mom why I was darker than everybody. Uh, And I mean, that was a really heartbreaking conversation for me because in that moment, I also found out stepdad wasn't my real dad. Um, My bio dad passed away before I was born. So um, suffice to say, it was a very like huge moment in my life. But um, for the most part, a lot of the conversations that I had with my mom and my stepdad were very much so the, unfortunately, people are going to treat you differently. Um, They're going to think certain things about you because of your skin color. Um, You're going to have to work twice as hard to have Mm -hmm. certain things. Um, And my parents did the best they could. They really did. You know, no one gives someone a handbook when their kid is a totally different race than they are. And and it has, you know, guidelines. Um, But then, like, I'd go to Virginia with my bio dad's family and it was the it would be the the first time, you know, or the only time throughout the year that I was surrounded by people who look like me. Um, And it was definitely a comforting thing. But at the same time, it was also so foreign to me. Um, that 
you know, there were moments where I would have cousins who were like, you're such an Oreo because I didn't understand necessarily aspects of black culture because I wasn't entrenched in it. Um, so it, and then I'd go home, go back home to, to North Dakota and my parents would be totally cool. But like certain family members would be like, oh, my God, she's been radicalized as I got older. Um, it was just, so, yes. Like she like, why is she calling out this this racial injustice that's happening here in the city? Everything's fine. And, you know, my parents understood why, but other members of my family just couldn't see it. So it was two very different worlds and I had to learn to straddle the two. And uh, I will say, I mean, this is a long-winded answer. I will say this though, it helped me in the future uh, know how to see the the middle between everybody um, and to understand everybody's viewpoint, even if it's one I don't agree with. Um, and it just taught me that at the end of the day, people are gonna be people. And all you can do is control yourself. Um, and and I mean, I had a I had a pretty good childhood, pretty decent. There were some aspects of it that, of course, I think every child has some traumatic stuff happen. But uh, overall, like, I think it set me up for success. So I'm not like I'm not too pissed about the things that happen. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing, for sharing yeah. the story, right? I mean, you and I, you and I grew up different. I don't know if you knew that, but, uh, <laughs> who so, but yeah, it is, it, it's powerful to hear your story. And it's also, it's also telling how you know, we're never blank enough for whatever population. Uh, especially, and this is something especially that uh, that biracial, multiracial folks constantly have to battle, right? Is that you're not blank enough for the blank people, and you're not blank enough for the blank people, and 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 so you have to figure out like, okay, well, who am I, and mm-hmm. what matters to me, and how can I just live my truth? Yeah, but that's so exactly. hard going through a period of time that tells you just fit in and survive. Right, like high yeah. school and middle school, it's yeah. like I just wanna I don't wanna be seen, I don't wanna be heard, I just wanna yeah. right, like I just I just wanna find my space, I wanna get through this, and then you know, maybe in college I can live live out loud. Um right in right. my high school, nobody came out in my high school because it wasn't a safe space to come out in. Plenty of people came out right. afterwards, right? Um so right. they they deemed it a place where they couldn't live their truth. And so yeah. uh, and I know that example is different, uh, but you know, th- there's some there's some through lines. Lines there, and it's powerful yeah. to hear you share uh, you share about that. So thank you. Yeah, and I mean, it's. I think. Look, I am a realistic optimist, <laughs> but I've come to the conclusion that as human beings, look, we are tribal beings. You know, we we seek out people who look like us. It makes us feel more comfortable, and that's a survival mechanism. It's something we need to work on. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I think for biracial and multiracial people, it, it's going to continuously be a struggle. Um, and, you know, like even now I'm almost 30 and I'm just now getting, you know, entrenched in my indigenous ancestry and history and, you know, working with people to uh, revitalize that because like our language is endangered. You know, mm-hmm. our language is is with our elders and it's it's such a difficult language to learn that, 
you know, once our elders are all gone, we don't know how many fluent speakers there are going to be left. I think there's maybe like 2000 Ojibwe, like fluent speakers. Um, yeah, in, in the States and I think, and in Canada too. Um, so you know, being this age and now learning, you know, another part of who I am, but the, the aspect that I keep going back to, and people might sit here and say that I'm such a pessimist, but again, I just think it's being realistic. I think as we continue to see this diversification of our, of our society, we're still going to find something to fight over, right? Like I think about in, within the black community, we often talk about dark skin versus light skin. Is that going to be a thing? You know, the Caucasian population will be on the decline starting 2032. You know, by 2050, is that going to be the thing? Are you too light? Are you too dark? What is it? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I hope we get past that. But realistically speaking, I'm like, I don't know if we got it in us. Yeah. Depressing. Because power. <laughs> uh, I love it though, because it's a, it's it's a real shit, right? Like, and yeah. it is uh, power is fascinating. Like, and mm-hmm. we are so many people are in constant search of power, and power is you know looking for a one up or looking for a, well, I got this or right, like even just like neighbor to neighbor, like well, my lawn, um, right? Like there's always this, there's a comparison, there's always a better or a worse, and no one wins in the comparison Olympics yet. We all keep competing, and it yeah. is uh, it, it's it's disheartening to be a part of, but I, I'm a, I know I do it. And I'm not proud of it, but you're right. There's always going to be something, right? I mean, think about it, right? Like right now, um, uh, a thickness is celebrated, right? There's a whole thing. We got two C's out here with thick, and we get like, 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 uh, and and there's been a, a rise in, uh, in 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 curvaceous as being very attractive. That hasn't always been the thing, right? And right. and. There's still, I mean, I would even say that the world is very split on that as well. Um, and it's still not, not everybody's 100% on board. Um, and, but there's always been like, there was this whole period of time where like the whiter you could get your skin, the better. And then it was the darker you can get your skin, the better. And then, right, like there's, <laughs> there's always going to be some trend that is reminding other people that they are not enough. Yeah. And there will be and people you know, who tell them that. Yep. And like even bringing up bodies, the, the curvy look. The question is, who is it acceptable on? Mm-hmm. So, and that's a that's a pretty frequent debate, I think, in my current industry. And it's it's, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So you might as well just do your damn self. <laughs> <laughs> you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So do your damn self. There it is. Here's the quote for the episode yeah. so far. Um, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that because Paige, we met uh, we met a a number of years ago, and and it was uh, a, a friendship quickly formed, uh, probably because of sass and uh, and sass and wit, and I, and I and I appreciate that. Um, and so I knew you when uh, I knew you when, uh, but when you worked in the education industry, um, and I'm so grateful that our friendship has continued. Um, and and you have made a career switch. Tell me a little bit about when did that start where you were like, you know, education industry, this is nice, but I think there may be something more for me. Did you start to look for the more or did the more uh, quite literally fall in your lap or what happened? 
The more literally fell in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, look, I, I don't think anybody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to be a sex worker. Um, but shit happens. <laughs> you roll with the punches. Um, it, I look, I loved education. I did. I, I drank the Kool-Aid and I was in it for the long haul. Um, but after I got my master's degree, my first job after graduating offered me 35 K. Um, and I had to fight like hard to get 36 K. Um, <laughs> and I was sitting there and I was just like, this doesn't feel right. And you know, coming from that realm, what one of the things we hear is you don't do it for the money. You do it to change lives and impact mm. the next mm. generation. <laughs> and I drank the Kool-Aid and <laughs> I kept with it. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, I had to take out a plethora of student loans to make it through college. Um, I got some scholarships, but I wasn't, you know, ridiculously smart to be on a full ride for both um, undergrad and grad school. Um, and for grad school, some of it was you needed loans just to get by like day to day. Right. Um, so I had about hundred mm, K in student loans uh, coming out from those two, two degrees. And so I had that. Um, I had to have a car because I had to commute to work. And, you know, it was one of the moments where it was like, do I get a new car? Do I get a used car? Of course, I went with a new car, but, you know, decisions, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it happens. And like, I just had all these expenses. And yet I was still trying to make it day to day. Um, I had done sugaring in college. So being a sugar baby where you date older gentlemen, um, typically older gentlemen, and in return, they give you like a monthly allowance, which a lot of sugar babies will say it's not sex work, but in reality, it is a form. It falls under the umbrella. So I did that in college for a little bit. Um, and then I stepped away from it. And I was like, oh, I don't need to do this. I'm fine. And then um, I decided to dive back into it. I was like, well, let me see what's on seeking arrangement. Maybe I'll find somebody. Um, and I did. And so I started dating this older gentleman and we came to a really good arrangement and that worked out. At the same time, I had started meeting other show babies on Instagram. We had like our own little sub community, like almost like every hashtag. <laughs> Not a hashtag necessarily, but you could. Uh, but you would find each other just yeah. like how you'd find people like on Black Twitter and whatnot. And so um I got to talking to this one, this one girl, her name was Nikki at the time. Uh, and she was an escort out in LA. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was like, you know, you should really consider doing this. Like, she's like, I've never seen a, like a, and I, I really do hate this term because it, it gets into like classism, but sex work is a microcosm of capitalism in the world at large. But she said, I had never seen a high class like BBW black yep. sex worker. And I think you could kill the market. And so I considered it, pondered it, talked to the guy I was dating at the time. And he was like, if you want to do it, like, I don't care, go for it. Um, and he was like, I'll even like slide you a couple G's to like get the photos, get the website. And so I, I started doing it. 
Um, so I, I started be like five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got outed shortly thereafter and um, left my job, uh, drove to Minnesota in the middle of the night, got a different job. Um, didn't tell anybody where I went, like any except my immediate family yeah. and started working in higher ed again. Um, and then kind of just kept it low key. Um, and I did higher ed for like another two years. Uh, and I realized I didn't like it because I was back in that day to day, you know, paycheck to paycheck. You do this because you love the students. And I was like, yeah, but I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. Um, and on top of that, there was no upward mobility because everybody got into the positions they wanted and nobody wanted to leave. And if I wanted mm -hmm. upward mobility, I would have had to move again. And I got tired of moving. Um, and it just started, like, I started noticing all these limitations on that industry. And I was just like, I don't care for this. Um, and the straw that kind of broke the camel's back was, you know, I think higher education does its damnness to, to open minds and allow people to see other viewpoints. But I think the institutions themselves are still so entrenched in traditionalism mm -hmm. and the donors and what they want um, that it's hard for them to move forward when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion and be proactive instead of reactive. Um, and there was a moment where I was sitting in a meeting and it, the president was holding the meeting. And uh, he was basically touting, you know, our, our student of color enrollment for this upcoming freshman class is gonna be over 30%, amazing. Everybody, like, applaud. And I raised my hand and I was just like, I'm just curious, like as of one of uh, six women of color on this whole entire campus, uh, staff-wise, uh, what are we doing to increase staff of color and faculty of color because I don't know if you're aware, but these students are coming to our offices at 8 p.m. at night or calling us at 10 o'clock at night like yeah. because they need help. They don't feel welcome here. Like you don't have a counselor of color. Like what are we doing? And instead of um, instead of answering the question, he placated the audience, which was predominantly white. Um, because he thought that I insinuated that none of them were capable of doing the job, which wasn't what I said at all. And then he had the audacity to say, and if you don't like how we're doing things here, if anyone doesn't like how we're doing things here, you're welcome to leave. And Power move. I, was, I remember going to my boss's office and I said, he literally threatened me right there, like threatened my job. Yeah. And she was like, yes, yeah, he did. And I knew right then and there, I was done. Like I was done with the politics. I wasn't made for it anyway. I'm too blunt. I don't, don't like playing the game. And so I went to corporate America for a little bit that kind of merged uh, education and, and, and whatnot. Um, and about six months in, I was like, eh, I still like this. But I also had my OnlyFans and I was making more money there. Um, and I got tired of it. I got tired of answering to them too because they were having the same issues. And after 
George Floyd, they were really struggling. Um, And I told them what I needed. I was the only woman of color on staff. There was one other person of color, a man of color. Um, We sat down and had a meeting with them and we're like, this is what we need. This is what we think we should do for the students. This is what we should do proactively moving forward. And it just felt like it was met with, like it just wasn't met well, it wasn't received well. Um, And then there were just some personal differences and I just decided it was time to go. So last year in late November, early December, I left my job and started for my own LLC, started my own business. And I've been in the adult industry ever since. That was super long-winded. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you tell me the story of your life in an inefficient manner. Uh (laughs) I really am trying to be efficient and effective. Okay. It's like one of the higher ed things I can't get rid of. That's, I mean, that's, and I appreciate it. Uh, fortunately, you are uh, good with your words, so you can use more. Uh, and so, the 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 uh, first off, uh, being an individual tries to stand up for what is right in those moments is always scary, especially as a a black woman of color who's immediately going to get labeled as the angry you know, black woman and whatnot, right? Like, oh, here we go again, Uh, right? Like those moments are, I don't know. I mean, I can only imagine how many times you have had that conversation and gotten very similar results, right? You you, you told us about two, Uh, but those are definitely not the only two moments that you've had those conversations. And so, uh, yeah, but you still try and there's admiration in, in trying uh, for sure. But at the same time, uh, but at the same time, like you said earlier, you got to your damn self and you, and you made, you made uh, an amazing career shift. Um, you're your mm-hmm. own boss. It's badass. And so Thank what you. is it about sex work that intrigues you? What is it that like these, you became your own boss. People don't become their own bosses doing things they hate, right? right. Um, and so we become our own bosses because, you know, I love speaking. And so that's why mm-hmm. I wanted to create this own speaker business. And that's why I left because it brought me more joy and, and stuff yeah. like that. And so what is it about the work that you get to do that brings you joy? You know, there's there's a lot of different aspects to it. You know, overarching, I love being my own boss. I love creating my own schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that feeling of being in charge of, um, I know it's really cheesy. I'm just going to say it, but being in charge of your destiny. This <laughs> is a delicious product. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, goat cheeses, not all the cheese, goat cheese. Right, well, we'll fight about that later. <laughs> um, but, but like I wake up every morning and I'm like, my success is while there's outside variables, my success is truly based off of what I do or don't do today. And that is something that I think is so freaking off for me because I am someone that's like motivated by that sort of unknown and that sort of, um, if you don't do it, it's never, like it'll never happen. Like that just works for me. Um, On the flip side of it, I actually enjoy the relationship building a lot. You know, there's a there's a few aspects of education that kind of 
roll back into the sex worker industry and sex work in general. And that is relationship building. You know, mm. I learned how to talk to people in, in education. I learned how to, you know, this notion of like, um, how to hear people and really listen to what the root of the issue is and how to solve it. Um, so for me, being really good at that relationship building and seeing people for who they are and um, getting to know them that's something that fills my up because I would argue I'm an extrovert when it comes to like working, but when I'm like, when I'm on my off time, like I'm so in, such an introvert. Um, and besides that, I think for me, something else that brings me joy is, with it is just, it's a, it's a big like flipping of the bird to society <laughs> and like the world at large, like, this notion, like we keep telling people to be ashamed of their, we ashamed of their bodies, ashamed of their wants and their desires. Like we live in such a puritanical society that tries to clamp everything down. And it's so cool to just be like, I, I want to walk around my house nude and take some photos and pop on the internet and get paid for it. What's, what's the big deal? Like, I'm today, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Todd. <laughs> Shout out to Todd. But, yes. But uh, for me, like, it, that's what brings me joy. There's just so many different aspects. And, you know, there are some days where being my own boss does suck. You know, there are some days where I'm like, shit, man, I wish I had the salary and the benefits instead of me having to handle this all by myself. But that's, it's an ebb and flow, right? Because just like any business, you have really, like, it's feast or famine. Um, and when you're feasting, you got to hoard and it helps make the famine go a little bit easier. Yeah. 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 So I, have, I have a logistics question if you can. Okay. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, as a speaker, as a speaker, I make money by getting speaking gigs. Right. And so okay. they're. There are a number of ways to get speaking gigs. You know, there's cold calling, there's sales, there is I'll go to a conference, people see me speak, and then mm -hmm. uh, they're interested, they want me to bring, you know, they then want me to come into their corporation or their campus or whatnot. Um, and so, uh, but by and large, they see the product, they want the product, they want more of the product, right? And so yeah. for you, what does client building look like for you? Yeah. So it, it, there's two different sides of it mostly. Well, there's actually, there's a lot of different sides. Um, for like only fans, only, yeah, only friends, only stands, as I like to call it too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for that, that's actually really honestly centered around building a following. Okay. Um, so for, for only, only stands, I get a lot of my following from social media. So that's okay. how you build a client. Um, now, some people are going to go look at my social media and be like, she, she's got 70,000 people on her only friend, like only fans. No, that's not the case. You only expect about 5% of your following at to at some point, um, you know, shuffle on over to your premium content. Yeah. Um, but the, the point is to, to consistently build that following. Um, and then once you get them through the door, it's, providing a, a dope experience. Um, for me, what I've come to the conclusion specifically with OnlyFans, for me, you know, while I'm posting explicit content, it's the relationship building that keeps people coming back. Mm -hmm. You know, I know my subscribers, I know the majority of them, their first name. I know if they have children or not. 
Like I know when their birthdays are. It's like, you know, they can hit me up and be like, dude, I've had a shitty day. And I'll chat with them through that. You know, it's a parasocial relationship, but it's still a relationship. And the nice Mm -hmm. part about it is I don't judge because I probably don't even really know you. Once in a blue moon, I'll get someone from high school who joins or college. And it's a little like, oh, shit. But but normally, I don't know these people. And so we can have kind of these more authentic and genuine conversations. And that keeps them coming back. So that's kind of how you build a clientele. And you just keep building it by expanding on social media via Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, what have you. Um, So there's that. In terms of like the escorting side of it. Um, for me, I'm trying to move away from ad platforms, so paid advertising. Okay. Um, and I'm really trying to harness on my like SEO, so my search engine optimization. So if someone were to ever Google like Minneapolis Escort, I'd hit the top of the page mm-hmm. um, and whatnot. Because ad platforms are great because um, they, they get your name everywhere, but they're expensive. They're super expensive. Um, And because this industry specifically, when you look at sex work, that's the umbrella term. And then there's different um, little sub umbrellas under that. Um, When you look at escorting in particular, that realm is consistently under attack by policies and, you know, and really shitty policies at that. Um, And so as the world, as this little industry gets, you know, gets hit from the left flank and the right flank with policy after policy, you know, advertisers are like, we'll just keep charging more because the the places to advertise are becoming less and less and less. Um, so sure. I use that. Yeah. 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 And then I also social media more so Twitter than I do um, Instagram, but I'm also very careful about that as well because, you know, it's, you just have to be careful <laughs> about how you use your social media because, you know, our industry isn't necessarily a welcome one on, on all social media platforms. Yeah. So, yeah. I love the um, other reasons. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. And I was just going to say, like, outside of that, like, keeping the clientele there is just all about providing a good experience. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure people are going to assume, like, it's it's all about, like, sex. And to be honest, it's, it's not. Um, I can... I think a lot of people just want to feel intimacy specifically after this last year. They just want to know what it's like to talk to a human being and (laughs) like to hug a human being. Like I sat down with, uh, I I had a a client the other day for like, we, we had lunch and he just hugged me for like five minutes. And he was like, this is the first hug I've had in like six months. That's crazy. And I was like, like, that to me is so like, that's so powerful and that's so helpful. Um, and it's really healing. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause every time we touch, I get this feeling cause every time, uh, right. No, but, <laughs> but seriously, right. Like, I mean, that, that's the joke that I've been saying throughout all the whole pandemic. When this, when this thing's over, I'm hugging all y'all. So buckle up right? yeah. with proper consent, yeah. of course, but still, right. Like I, I can remember I went down to Nashville and saw my best friend, Sam. Um, and, and, and we hugged it out and I was like, this feels so nice. Um, right. Yeah. And, 
and uh and yeah it, it was just it was a beautiful moment but it was also funny because i remember being like where do my hands go um right like it had been so long and uh and so but yeah it, it, you bring up such a powerful point where it's also you know when you think about when i think about my barber right my barber yes makes makes my haircut look great but it's also the time that i spend there right i'm there for an hour right especially a dude yeah. doing a beard trim he's doing a mustache trim we're getting intimate you know what i'm saying like he's all yeah. up in my space and like i want to have a cool conversation right if you can't have yeah. a conversation or you're bringing curiosity uh to the room then i don't know if i'm coming back right um yeah. and it's it's and so it's the same thing right as you build your book so to speak to stick with the haircutting term um it, it is about what is that relationship that you were able to foster and you're right yeah that is not what most people think about right when people are like oh mm -hmm. you are uh okay you, you're an escort so that means all right you're going to spend two hours with a client you'll probably talk to them for five minutes all right what do you want what do you need how are we doing right it's like it's it's almost like people look at it like a mechanic right when i pull into my mechanic i'm like all right it's making this sound i want that to stop i'd like more of this maybe some more of here if you could check the tires that'd be great right and you're gone the interaction's done um and then you know you get to work but um the the level of relationships that you form with these individuals because it is it is intimate and not even intimate mm -hmm. in, in a sexual way, right? Like it's that moment of, of, of relationship building that I think mm -hmm. is fascinating about the work that you do. Um, you mm -hmm. don't go and spend a night in Miami with some random person um, and, and not have cool conversations for the entire time. Um, as well, like it's, they have to be both because one feeds the other um, uh, for yeah. sure. So when you have a crappy waiter, it impacts your dining experience, no matter how good the food is. Um, and so, yeah, it is, uh, it's really cool uh, to hear about it. And you're right. You're right. Sex work is extremely stigmatized. And, uh, and that is, uh, that is a shame that is wrong. Uh, and, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about that stigmatization. Is that a word? It is now. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> And I want to talk to you a little bit about it. Uh, the world is, I feel like different parts of the world feel differently about this. But here in the United States, uh, I would consider a lot of our views around sex a little bit prude. Um, right. Like, uh, you know, see hashtag free the nipple um, and, and some of those things that, that people are still fighting for um, and, and, and whatnot. There's just the, the idea of having conversations around sex is very hush hush. It's very lights off. It's very, you know, like. Uh, whenever you drive by a sex uh, toy store or something like that, you're always like, let me see if I recognize any cars in the parking lot. Let me see if that old Jed's over there. Um, right. And like, there's still this, this weird uh, prudeness that is around all of it that ultimately uh, keeps individuals who do sex work from having the rights that they deserve. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I'm curious to hear, you know, like, when you think about some of that prudeness and yes, we can, we can tie some of it to religion, but not all of it. Uh, right. I mean, there's, we can always, there's some, we can find a line in religion against everything if we want. Uh, and, and so ultimately it's how we're interpreting it and playing it and using religion as power. Um, so I'm not, I'm not down for that argument now, but yeah. you know, where are you seeing this 
And, and, and why do you think we are in this place right now? Why is the country and so many parts of the world, you know, on the, the pruder side, the antiquated side when it comes to sex conversations and sex working? I mean, I think you hit the primary reason on the head, like when it comes to the U.S., when we look at kind of New Zealand um, or Australia, they're ahead of the curve um, in this regard. There are states in Australia where sex work is legalized. Um, there, I think New Zealand, it's legalized. Uh, and then there's other places where it's decriminalized, which is, I think, what a lot of sex workers in the U.S. are looking for. Um, and, and, and I... I think part of the reason why the U.S. just struggles with it is, one, we have very antiquated views on sex. Um, I can't necessarily put like put one thing as to why we have these antiquated views on sex. I don't get why we just can't move the needle. No. Um, but I think part of it is, you know, there's you have you have a lot of discrimination. Yeah, basically discriminatory practices happening all over. Like, actually today, um, my mailer, I sent a newsletter out every month. My mailer got shut down this morning um, because I was uh, sending it from an email address that pointed back to my website. And even though there was nothing in the email that was adult content oriented, it was just like a, like a, post, not post pandemic, but kind of like a slightly post like wave pandemic, um, COVID wave, uh, what's happening, what I'm fixing to do this summer, um, kind of newsletter. And they're like, yeah, we're not cool with your industry. So we're shutting down your account. Um, in addition, I had a bank account or a bank, um, a national bank, uh, choose not to do business with me. Um, I got a payment from OnlyFans. Uh, they saw the payment. They flagged it. Even though OnlyFans doesn't show up as OnlyFans, it shows up as a totally different company. Um, they flagged it. And they basically were like, we're going to give you your money. But just FYI, like we could have froze your assets and kept them. Um, so in general, like we just the the industry is discriminated against across the board um credit card processing companies usually charge us a more exorbitant fee um than other industries uh, to you know process credit cards so i think in general it's just an industry that's seen as seedy um i think they've done a really good job of presenting the people who work in the industry as being very like insidious and seedy people yeah. um and like you think about what's kind of portrayed to the public in movies, in music videos, what have you, like it just continue, like it just continues that cycle. And then on top of that, when you come from, you know, when your education system is consistently harping on like abstinence and, you know, we're not having these legitimate conversations about sex and, you know, monogamy versus, you know, polyamory versus whatever, like what different relationships look like. I think it just, it stunts how people view the world and because it doesn't fit within this traditional box of what things should be, it's wrong. Yeah. Um, instead of just realizing like there's different ways to, to live, to live life. Um, so, man, 
I, I think it'll continue to be stigmatized for a little while longer. I think we're on kind of the path forward, specifically with OnlyFans. Um, I think that did a lot over the past year and a half. And I think now that there's, and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, I think because there are men on the platform as well and who are also engaging in this work, it's also changing um, kind of the dynamic, even though sex worker rights and sex work decriminalization, the fight is really being led by black and brown um, people, specifically black and brown trans people. Um, and it, it's just kind of interesting to kind of see how the the table is slightly turning. Yeah. 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 Where people are more open to the conversation. People are starting to see it's becoming illuminated, right? I mean, sex yeah. is something that is always, as I said, I mentioned earlier, like kept in the dark and often done yeah. in the dark if you don't like having fun. Um, and, and so the, uh, yeah, the, the illumination of the issue um, and also the, you know, anytime you can humanize it, right? Meeting a person. Yeah. That's why it was in, it was really important for me to, to have you on here because let's meet a person who is out here like a regular human being. It's one thing when you don't know anybody that identifies as such and such or looks like such and such. It's like, well, those people, right? Instead, it's like, oh, no, that's Paige. She's the shit, right? Like, and that's yeah. different, right? We start to change the game a little bit. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> and so uh, that is, I mean, first off, it's amazing that that, the conversation is slowly shifting uh, yeah. and uh, it needs to happen. The fact that we're having the conversation is progress in itself. Uh, and yeah. that uh, that's beautiful. You know, right. and, oh, yeah, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Oh, oh, please. I was just going to say like people inherently think this work is dangerous and what they fail to realize is it's the stigma, like the stigmatization and the criminalization that makes it dangerous. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, you know, don't get me wrong. Human trafficking is real. It is real. Yes. But we oftentimes focus on the sex industry instead of focusing maybe on the labor industry where it's even more prevalent and rampant. Um, like, and the, a lot of the policies that they're starting to enact oftentimes make it more difficult. Um, like I remember there was an article that came out three years ago thereabouts after Backpage got shut down there was actually a sheriff's department in illinois that was like we can't find trafficking victims anymore because you took away that that piece that helped us mm -hmm. um and it pushed it pushed the actual you know the ugly parts of the sex industry further underground um and you know it made it harder to screen clients and when you can't screen your clients you know you don't, you potentially don't know who you're meeting. And I like, I'm in a privileged enough position where I can screen my clients. I know what I'm walking into. Um, but there's some people who can't. And, you know, they, that's what makes it inherently dangerous because clients who want to do bad things to people know the police aren't really going to care. <laughs> like the majority of people aren't really going to care. So I can do whatever. Um, right. And so, it, it, that's a that's the unfortunate part of it. And I think, you know, we just have this, we inherently assume everyone who's in the industry is forced. And that's not always the case. And I remember getting into a debate uh, at my last, the last university I worked at, uh, the Super Bowl was in town. 
and they were having a whole like panel on how to how to gauge like human trafficking. And I was like, okay, but what about our students who are like doing this of volition? And like, they couldn't believe that someone would want to. Um, it's like, no, it's a valid profession. Um, and I have met many a college student who is in this industry. You just wouldn't know it because they blur their face. So, yeah. you know, and I just, I wish we would, as educators, I, I hope this conversation implores, you know, I'm going to implore people to, to do more work, do more reading, do more research and, and, you know, understand like this, this world is valid. This work is valid. It's real. And it deserves the same rights as, as other labor. Yeah. Your carte blanche. Well, it's all wrong. It's dirty. It's nasty. It's not helping anybody. It's actually hurting no. people. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, just like most parents everywhere have learned, if you don't want your kid to drink, then don't tell them not to drink, right? <laughs> you don't want your kid, uh, like all that kind of stuff is, uh, yeah, it is. It, and, and we, you know, people want what is forbidden um, and, and the taboo of it all and, and whatnot. And, and, you know, I think that's what's so powerful about what's happening right now with the decriminalization and legalization, depending on the state of marijuana, right? Like that is, yeah. uh, that, that's, that's changing the game. Um, and, and so in a, in a really positive way. So, yes, of course, there's yeah. always going to be like, well, it could lead to this or this could happen. And you're right. But those anomalies are so far and few between. Right. That's like yeah. right now with the people who are like wearing their masks outside still. Do you know <laughs> you are more likely to get attacked by a shark or get stung by a bee than you are to attract COVID uh, from somebody just walking past you, right? Um, yeah. And like, it's just not, <laughs> the science has said that take your masks off. And so, yeah. um, but there's still some people that are like, no, we can't do it. And it's like, no, you're, you don't. Um, and uh, it's fascinating to hear you talk about it uh, from that lens of, of being in uh, being in that work. You know, you yeah. talk about screening clients. What is, what does that mean? I understand why it's important. But like, how does like, how does one screen a client? Like what, I'd be curious, what are you listening for? Are there questions that you ask that you're like, if their answer is this to this one, um, or is it a, you have the ability to pay and therefore X, Y, and Z or like, you know, what is it? Um, it's everyone does it differently and I'm not going to get, too, too into it because there are some aspects of it that we keep in the industry. We keep quiet on it because that's our way. Like that it's a, it's a safety precaution. Um, uh, but what I'll say is like, for me, I use real world info. <laughs> um, like, I'm sorry, I'm not fixing to give you access to my person in public or in private without knowing who the hell you are. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I get that. Like, or like, that's just what it is. And sometimes like I will get people who will be like, well, what's your real name? Why don't you tell me who you really are? And it's like, well, Todd, you're not the one who like, if you get outed, I understand like you could totally potentially lose a partner or your job. There could be repercussions at your work. But last time I checked the, you're not a black or brown woman who has a higher chance of being raped, robbed, or murdered on the job. So 
Like, you either give me the info or you don't. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I screen using real-world real info, um, and it could range from someone's um, uh, providing, on top of provide answering a bunch of questions, providing, like, a driver's license and a photo of them holding the driver's license. It could be employment information. Um, and honestly, like, real talk, like, it's so funny when people kind of, freak out about screening, but I also get why. I mean, you're you're giving your information to someone you've never met before and you don't know, you potentially don't know what they're gonna do with it. Um, but real talk, just trying to make sure you're a real human being and like a valid person yeah. and you have like a, a pretty consistent paper trail um, and that you're safe to meet with. Yeah. Um, that could also be, you know, checking with other providers if you have references from mm -hmm. other providers or escorts. Um, so yeah, but screening isn't foolproof either, you sure. know, and, and that that's something else um, is cli a cl client A could treat provider A and B well, but client B could treat provider A like a goddess and client or provider B like she's just like some rando. Yeah. That he doesn't give a damn about what happens to them. So um and th that's just what happens. And, you know, so nothing's screening is, yeah, nothing's foolproof. Um, no. So it's a good preventative measure. It's, it's uh, harm reduction, but it doesn't necessarily mean it'll, it'll always pull through hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating yeah. to me. So thank you for answering the question. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing we talked about earlier, Page that I kind of want to bring bring into this conversation is, uh, you know, you are a uh, mixed race. I don't know if you identify as, as multiracial or biracial. I'm not sure. And I'll let you answer that um, rather than me just sitting here guessing. Um, but uh, so, uh, but being a, a woman of color, um, you know, notoriously, and I, I don't know if the industry is changing this way, but notoriously, like, especially in porn, um, like you would make less money if you had sex mm -hmm. with someone of color or as someone of color having sex, right? You notoriously get paid less. Um, and, and so there's a disparity in payment there. Um, and there's, you know, there's race comes into everything. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. as, you know, where are you seeing that as a model right now? Because you're also outspoken on your social media uh, about this issue. And so yeah. I'm mean, curious here, you know, where, where are you noticing and what are you experiencing it as a woman of color in the modeling and sex working industry? Yeah. Um, with OnlyFans, one of the things that is so interesting is you just notice that the majority of content creators of color, particularly black women, won't charge as much um, because you just kind of know from the jump that people probably won't pay as much because that's just the way the industry yeah. works. Like I said, you know, like I said earlier, and like you mentioned, it's, it's a microcosm of the world at large um, and typically unchecked because it's not that nobody wants to call it out. It's just, if you call it out, you're potentially risking, if you're in porn, you're potentially risking losing out on production companies or gigs. If you're, mm -hmm. if you're in OnlyFans, you might not get that, you know, you might not get that subscriber. If you're an escort, you might've just pissed off like a whole segment of clientele and the majority of clientele uh, in the industry are white 
middle-aged men. Um, so it, it's just, you have to play it really safe um, to some extent. And if you don't recognize you're, you're cutting yourself off from a, a large, potential large segment of clientele, but the clientele you do get, the subscribers you do get are hella there for you and dig mm -hmm. you. So that, that part's cool. Um, I will say when it comes to the escorting realm, you'd notice it in rates. Um, like I will notice particularly that white women, specifically conventionally attractive, so thin, um, white, blonde, white women can charge astronomically more um, than their black peers. Now, while there are, of course, exceptions to every rule, because I have seen thin black providers charging $1,000 for the first hour or $1,500 for the first hour. Um, it happens. It just doesn't, you just don't see it as frequently. Um, but I also have another kind of like slight against me because I'm considered plus size or small BBW, which that has always thrown me off. I was like, isn't BBW just BBW? But now I've learned like they're small BBW and they're super, like super BBW. And I'm just like, this is well, BBW being big black woman for those of you playing at home who don't know the term. Well, big beautiful woman. <laughs> big beautiful woman. Excuse me. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, and it, it's it is. Cool. We I mean, all learn it out here. <laughs> well, it, it's fine. Like there was a there's a really well known content creator who thought BBW was meant big big black woman, and we were like, <laughs> no, girl. <laughs> thank you, but thank you anyway. <laughs> we're, we're, we're fixing to promo ourselves under this tweet. <laughs> so <laughs> three Bs, BBBW. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so for me, like I'm supposed to charge even less because I'm bigger, mm -hmm. but I don't. You know, like I I'm in Minneapolis. Um, there's not a lot of plus size providers here. In addition, there's not like. There's not a lot of plus size providers who are women of color. So it's a niche market. And so when you're, when you're kind of like one of the only you, you, there's some ability there to um, set a price point. That's just a little bit higher because you're fulfilling a niche that isn't really being fulfilled there. Um, but I would be considered an anomaly um, to some people as well. So it just, it, it, it all really depends. There's so many different variables that go into it. And at the end of the day, like when it comes to pricing, I just always tell people, you have to price yourself at something that you're comfortable with, but that will also make you money. So, yeah. and there's some markets like where you wouldn't see anyone who's priced over 350 because the market's just that, like, A, the market's just that small. Um, and the way clients have kind of set the demand, they, they've been able to keep the prices that low. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. It's like yeah. varying gas prices around the country. Um, yeah. it is, uh, I yeah. love the inner workings of this industry. Like it's so fascinating and um, you're constantly learning because the industry has to constantly evolve. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, a question I have, uh, another question I have for you is kind of actually along those lines. Um, what have you learned about yourself doing this work? Um, I have learned that my tolerance and patience for bullshit is nil. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, what I mean by that is I've learned that I'm 
much more, um, oh God, I can't think of the word. It's not independent, although I am independent and it's not resilient. It's um, assertive than I always thought I was. Um, you have to have really good boundaries in this industry. Um, whether it's whether it's escorting, whether it's OnlyFans, whatever it is, you have to have really good boundaries. And you have to be able to stick to your guns regarding those boundaries. And that is something I've learned is how to be able to look at someone and just be like, no, and not feel bad for it. Um, so I really have appreciated that about myself. And it's something I wish I had learned, God, during college, I, there, I would have been a lot of different decisions about what I decided to do in college and whatnot. Um, I think something yeah, else. Your I'm guidance doing... counselor on this one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not available. Um, my dad likes to. Well, when he was alive, my dad liked to joke that I had a guardian angel because I never had to like never dealt with any bad shit, yeah. and if I did, like I'd get out of it real quick. Um, I think mine was just kicking it in Maui with my ties the whole time. So anyhow, <laughs> I don't, I don't blame them. I was doing the most all the time. Um, but yeah, so a, a lot of um, assertiveness, setting boundaries. Um, I've definitely learned how to run and operate a business, like, which is so cool. Like I used to be like, how do you, how does someone run a business? And it's like, like I can sit here and I know, okay, this is what I got to call and talk to my tax guy about, or this is what yeah. I need to call and talk to my financial advisor about. Like, it's just like, that is so badass to me. Um, I have learned how to be a chameleon. Yeah. You know, I think as a, as a, as a multiracial woman of color, I, already was a chameleon, but this has taught me how to be myself at the fundamental level, but also code switch or shift even better, um, depending on what somebody needs at the time, um, whether it's tough love or listening ear or whatever. And because I'm not afraid to give clients some tough love. I'm just not. <laughs> we all need to get our shit together. <laughs> yeah, uh, seriously, uh, sometimes. Um, and then some other things that I've learned is com camaraderie. I have a tendency to um, kind of lone wolf it. Oh. Uh, and I think part of that is growing up where I grew up. I think part of that is having moved so much for college and, and work and whatnot. After a while, you just get so used to having to make new friends that it's just like, what's the point? <laughs> um and so this has kind of taught me how to let the walls down um, selectively, uh, but let the walls down and let people get to know me. Um, yeah. But again, selectively. And I think that's super important because, you know, we, we need friends. We need people who understand us and people who empathize what we're going through. Um, yeah. But the other thing that I've learned, like the one thing in general is just, on it being unabashedly and unapologetically honest. Mm. Um, siblings know, my mother knows, like, and I remember one of the first things they all said was, are you being safe? Yes. Are you happy? Yes. Mm. Okay. Then we support you. And I think for me, like, that ability to finally just be honest about what it is I do and who I am, you know, um, 
Now I don't go around telling everybody, like if you see me at the airport, I'll be like, I'm a consultant. Okay. Yeah. Just a consultant. <laughs> because I do, I, I do, I do consulting for some people when it comes to OnlyFans and whatnot, but yeah, just being honest um, and being able to be unapologetic with, with my family and friends about who I am is, has mm -hmm. been a really great lesson. That's beautiful. Uh, that that's dope. You know, I mean, you're an entrepreneur, right? You are a business owner. Uh, sorry, world. I don't know what else you're trying to call what she does. Uh, but you're an entrepreneur. You're a business owner, and as a fellow entrepreneur, right? We don't have a water cooler that we can go and chop it up with a coworker at real quick, right? Like mm -hmm. we have to collaborate. The amount of conversations I have with other with fellow speakers has been extremely helpful. Um, and, yeah. and so those conversations are powerful. And, you know, it, it says a lot to play play your cards face up like you all, like you have with your family and your closest friends and whatnot. Uh, and that's that's amazing that, you know, they support you, right? They asked a really powerful yeah. question, a, a, a question that all loved ones uh, should ask, really regardless of what you do <laughs> for work. Yeah. Are you being safe? Are you taking care of yourself? Um, and uh, yeah, that's incredible. I got one more for you. Uh, I asked you about, you know, what did this industry and being a part of it, being a businesswoman, what has it taught you about yourself? And I'm wondering what it has taught you about others. Because a lot of times, because of movies, because of whatever experiences people have had, when we think about somebody who is going to, uh, I guess, you know, utilize the business of a sex worker um, that was said perfectly um, be a patronage to a sex worker um, and whatnot. <laughs> There's often an archetype, right? Like I'm thinking about the sleazy dude from hitch um, and uh, like the weird boss guy who hooked up with Ava Mendes, friend, right? And then she winds up, Ava Mendes pushes him into the, uh, the bull's butt. Anyway, um, we all know the moment, but like we're, I'm picturing like dudes like that three piece suit, hair slick yeah. all the way back, douchebag type, right? Yeah. Um, you talked about forming relationships earlier. You talked about having uh, open open lines of dialogue with folks. And so I'm wondering, what have others, or not, let me ask you this way, what have you learned from others, those that you've worked with, um, that has maybe caused you to think a little bit differently or something that surprised you? Yeah. I think, I think other people, particularly clients, have just taught me the value and the importance of um, feeling empowered in your relationships and being able to, to advocate for yourself and your wants and your needs. Um, and, you know, communicating that with whomever it is. Um, I think so often we feel this need to constantly sacrifice our own happiness um, for, for other people. And I think, I think that's valid to some extent. And I think it's, it's fair in, in a lot of situations, but at the same time, like we have to make sure that we're happy where we're at. And, um, we have to make sure that, you know, we feel empowered where we're at. And for me, I just, that's what I've mostly learned is the, the, the need and the the really the requirement that a relationship should have which is communicate openly and honestly um 
in addition, outside of like that super important lesson, like the beautiful thing about my clients is they come from different walks of life. You know, I've learned a lot about fire investing, which is uh, financial independence, retire early, like a lot. Like I have a client who literally will like text me and be like, yo, this one's on the up and up, like hit, get it now before, you know, it, it shoots way up. And he's been right. Like, like every single time. And like, um, he's just really, really good. Like, um, and you know, I have like clients who will keep me abreast of like really hot topic issues that I'm not really paying attention to because I'm like super focused on domestic issues, um, mm -hmm. and how that's impacting, you know, how things are happening over here. And so, all of us come from these really unique walks of life. Um, and so I'm learning things that are applicable kind of to success as a business person, as an individual, but I'm also learning, you know, skills from them that are successful to build good relationships. Um, and, and I can take that into other aspects of my business. Mm, yes. Fascinating, because uh, again, you're having you're having normal everyday conversations with these folks, right? And people are fascinating, right? There, we are all there is there is a topic that gets us all going. Um, and who knows what it is, right? You want to talk to me about marine biology? I'm in. You want to talk to me about photography? I'm in. You want to talk to me about cars? You want to, like like I'm super excited. I mean, life in general, I'm fascinated by, right? Um, but there's other topics where I'm like, all right, I gotta. I got to double down. I got to try to stay present here. Um, right. And so like, but finding yeah. what other people care about is always such a cool challenge. And I also yeah. loved what you shared uh, about the need for clarity and the need to mm -hmm. recognizing that you are allowed to want something. You are allowed to ask for something. Uh, and, and that's something that, you know, I, I was recently able to go on a show, Twin Cities Live, and I know you know it, uh, but I was on Twin Cities Live and talking about the tips that a lot of marriages, you know, what are three tips that, that marriages need to get a little bit stronger? Um, and, and one of the biggest things was you need to ask for what you want. You need to have clarity. Um, and if you, Sometimes it takes a lot of courage. And so also on the other side of the partnership, it also is important for the other person to be like, you know, it'd be really hard. I don't know if I would just immediately stand up for myself and tell somebody what I want. So let me ask, right? Like, how can I ask? Like, hey, what do you need from me right now? How are you yeah. feeling about this relationship, right? Like trying to find clarity is key. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's cool that that was a lesson that you took away um, from from this experience that you are in the thick of as a badass businesswoman. Uh, I love that. Paige, <laughs> so dope hanging out with you here in the diner. Uh, it is it is great uh, to to spend this time with you. And thank you so much for for teaching me things. Right. I, I love I love when I get corrected in these in these uh, in these moments. <laughs> uh, right? it's, it's awesome. It's so good. Right. Because yeah. now I'm now I'm closer to being better. Um, and so I yeah. really appreciate that for sure. And, and thank you uh, for being so open with us. Uh, about something that people sadly don't want to talk a lot about and about a profession yeah. that deserves way more rights than it currently has. I appreciate you, friend. Yeah, no problem. I mean, it's that, that cliche higher ed line. We're all only experts in our own experience. Um, and so, you know, I, I always encourage people like my experience is my own, how I view the industry, how I view the world is 
obviously through my own vantage point. So, you know, for anybody who's listening, I would just encourage you to like reach out to your local um, sex worker organization group. Um, try to get more info. Try to just understand. Try to learn. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, as a certain mentor tell me we're all just uh, individual sacred human beings trying to make it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, so take care of your damn self. There it is. <laughs> uh, I love that. And uh, I think most listeners just learned that there was a local sex worker organization potentially in their town. Uh, I know. I <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, there's an organization for everything, so I don't know why I'm surprised. Uh, yep. so, yeah. so just uh, Google like Swap USA, uh, mm-hmm. S W O P dash USA, and usually that website will have um, links to to potential uh, city wide swap um, yeah. organizations. Yeah. Swap S W O P. Thank you mm-hmm. for that resource. And thank you uh, for being my friend, Paige. I always love our conversations. Uh, you're a dope Same. human and, uh, and much love to you, fam. Thanks for chilling in the diner with me. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah. Y'all, that was Paige Savage or Savage if you're nasty. Uh, she is an incredible human, and I'm super grateful that she spent this time with me. Friends, we have to have conversations with individuals that do things that we don't know anything about. Because if we don't hear the conversations, if we don't hear their stories, then we write them for them, and often inaccurately so. That is what we have done time and time again when we don't know individuals or something makes us uncomfortable. We write the story instead of hearing the story. So my friends, please continue to ask more questions hear more stories, right? We got to keep punching small talk in the face here, my diner patrons. You know what's going on. Keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care and be well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, While we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.